This podcast was recorded prior to the news of Khabib Nurmagomedov being unable to fight Tony Ferguson. Justin Gaethje has been tapped to replace Khabib, however, there has been nothing finalized. We expect more news to be forthcoming. Thanks for tuning in to Scraptitude. Hey there, and welcome to the Scraptitude podcast. Scraptitude is a partner of Pub Square Media. To learn more about Pub Square Media, follow on Twitter at ThePubSquare. If you want to join the Scraptitude community, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Scraptitude, or subscribe to our YouTube account, Scraptitude Philly. If you enjoy this podcast, please take this time to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks. We're back, and that sadly may be the last rabidou Scratitude Faithful ever hears, and Jeffrey over here, solemn, sad, face sunken. Oh, tears. If you don't know, Jeff is a massive professional wrestling and massive John mm. Cena fan. He gives mm. me the, you can't see me, all the time, all the time, you know, so <laughs> it's the end of an era, RIP to Jeff's me. boy, yep. John Cena. The time is now. However, our new initiative is supporting a local group, No FM Music. You can follow them on. Oh snap! <laughs> you can follow them on Instagram at underscore No FM. And oh, Jesus, uh, we're letting them flex their creativity a little bit with this one because uh, you know you don't want to put people with artistic talent too much of a box. Too However, much of a box. my demands, uh, vibrant and soulful, Jeff's. Engaging, not too heavy, not too far into the womp music. The womp music. And uh, could you explain what womp music is to maybe our less educated listeners? Uh, the music with too much bass and the, like, uh, dying Terminator sounds. <laughs> yeah, the computer music, you know? The evolution of techno, all of the branches of that tree. Uh, you know... I used to be staunchly against this kind of music. Uh, I tolerate it now. It's just, mm. it's what is in this day and age. And I don't want to be one of those, I was one of those crotchety people. Mm. Get off my lawn. Get play off some, my lawn. Play some music with some acoustic instruments. Mm. <laughs> they, those who resist change are destined to perish. So give no FM music underscore no FM on Instagram a follow. Mm. Check their stuff out. Uh, Quan, actually, one of the members of the group, both Quan and Rashawn are friends of mine from uh, Penn State. Uh, but they, Quan uh, uh, is the one who developed our logo, a very cool logo. You can see it right here, Scraptitude written across the mouth guard, and you should have seen the original <laughs> because it looked nothing like this. Quan did an awesome job. He yes. took both of our feedback really well. I think mm-hmm. that you'll attest to that. I agree. Just as I will, and so I look forward to this collaborative experience, and I, we look forward to bringing you a new intro, one that hopefully placates you in this sad time, mm. this rabidulous existence. It got corona and passed. I'm just letting you know already that we're going to have the rabidou soundbite six or seven times throughout this podcast, just so people can, you know. Rabidou! So, Jeff. Yes. Have you seen a show called 
Tiger King on Netflix. Uh, yes, <laughs> Tiger King. Maybe you can pull up a little. Yep, oh, yep, my yep. God. Yeah, a little picture. Oh, there, there, he, there he is, is Joe Exotic. Joe, Joe Exotic. With the tiger right there. Oh, my God. This is one of the most fucked up shows I've seen mm. in my entire life. Like, it fucked me up inside. <laughs> it's uh, seven episodes. Have you finished all seven? No, not yet. Okay, so, spoiler alert. I won't, or I won't give any spoilers. I mean... I, How I far know, are you? Uh, I think halfway through, just about. Like, about to be on the fourth. All right, John. yeah. Well, my girlfriend introduced me to it, and she actually rewatched the first three episodes with me mm-hmm. because she was so committed to having somebody to enjoy the experience <laughs> with her. And it is an experience, I'll tell you that. It's it's a colorful experience. Dude is um, eccentric. Yeah, you've probably seen the memes uh, everywhere. Yeah. Instagram, Twitter, mm-hmm. Facebook. You can't go anywhere without seeing this man, Joe Exotic's face, Somewhere, or yeah. one of the other interesting... Like Kathy or something? Uh, Car- Carol. Carol. Carol with an E at the end. Carol and, uh, is there one more bull? Uh, there, well, there's, uh, Bhagavan or Bhagavan. whatever, the one guy who has the tiger cult. Yeah, the secret bull who doesn't like... There's him. other characters, but I'm not going to spoil anything for you. So, just a basic <laughs> breakdown to those of you who may not be familiar with Tiger King, but are hearing all about it. Listen, this is not my kind of thing, but the shock value of the show... It's good television. It's like, uh, you know, it's in that vein of like Blackfish and all those types of exposés on the treatments of animals, and specifically some, cats. Yes, uh, and it's got a re- whole reality TV show element. It centers around <laughs> Joe Exotic, or centers on Joe Exotic, an eccentric, gay, gun-toting Oklahoman, owner of some 200 exotic animals, primarily tigers, <laughs> And uh, also a man with two husbands. Two yes. gay, straight husbands. Yes. Uh, so I'll let you all unpackage that by watching it because they're, it's, it's a multifaceted <laughs> thing and I don't want to give away too much. And then the protagonist, oh, antagonist, uh, some of both. She, she's uh, complicated in her own right, is this lady, Carol Baskin, who is an animal rights activist mm. who inherited... A lot of money from her suspiciously deceased husband. Suspiciously deceased. Uh, she's a manipulative, nutty advocate for animal rights. You know how it gets to that spectrum of radicalization yes. in animal rights. Like, <laughs> blow up the dam to save the animal. That's, yeah. She's, like, very close to that point. And <clears throat> so, it's a uh, seven-episode epic of sociopathic destruction. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> uh, I don't care. I mean, it's crazy... The amount of stuff that can happen when you get a bunch of crazy people, crazy, crazy insane people, with a bunch of look at the profession. Wild animals. Look at the profession. Like, these people definitely feel like they got a taste of like godliness by overseeing these huge, majestic, deadly animals. I don't know about that. I feel, especially after some of the incidents that take place at the uh, said sanctuary, I don't know if anyone thinks they're god. Or, and he's, or I mean, you just, just see the narcissism, the egos, like the. Uh, it like seems like the some of these pedestal people, these people seem to put yeah, themselves on. It seems That's like some I mean. of them are so high that they're just like, "Holy shit! I can't believe this is what I'm doing right Drugs now." Drugs are also an explanation for the behavior, and I believe that it's a variety of things: narcissism, meth. substance abuse, <laughs> namely <laughs> meth, uh, <laughs> and also you have these exotic, gorgeous, uh, breathtaking, and ferocious no, beasts that you're huge. surrounded with all the time, and he's just. 
Joe Exotic, this fellow right here, he's uh, blonde mullet and all escapating with these beasts. That's got to do something to you psychologically, but I think that unpackaging the psychology of Zoke, Joe Psych. Joe Psychotic. Mm, Joe, Joe Exotic. Psychotic. Of Joe Exotic is something that you should do on your own by experiencing the show. It has a Scraptitude recommendation. Shit's fucking ridiculous. So now, uh, John Jones. We're going to uh, start with, you know, we're just going to touch on it. A five-minute segment on John Jones because the reason we're here today is to bring you the official, all-encompassing Tony Ferguson breakdown. But first, John Jones, six foot six in shoes. John mm-hmm. Jones. There's the man with soulless eyes. Smirk. Thousand yard stare. Slight smirk. Oh, just pervasive arrogance. And yet I still can't feel bad for the self destructiveness of this man. Call me a fool. His face is probably numb. Cocaine. Uh, I don't know if they did any kind of drug testing. I know that he was. Uh, breathalyzed, and they put him through like six or seven different tests. Yeah, the open container, I think, and uh, the gun. Did you no hear him blame insurance. his kindness to homeless people? Yes. As the reason he was out there? John is uh, on cocaine. Uh, man, I just think he has an overall substance abuse problem, and it doesn't matter whether it's uh, weed, it doesn't matter if it's alcohol, it doesn't matter if it's cocaine. He can't use these in a recreational fashion. I don't think it's an issue of him just being immature anymore because you might have recalled from my Tyson Fury podcast, Mm. uh, I'm levied a lot of judgment upon Tyson Fury for actions that he committed with throughout his 20s. Yes. And uh, I used that to push forth a narrative about him. And I was thinking, maybe I've done the same thing with John Jones. Some of our early podcasts shat on John Jones. uh, And we've come around to him a bit, seeing him as a more matured person at this stage of his career. This doesn't seem like an issue of maturity. What do you think? (laughs) <laughs> I think that it is a combination of cockiness, being still young, the fact that he's in his early 30s, and still relatively young in the sense of doing, making good decisions, especially when you have enough money. <sighs> Just looking at the things that John likes to do, at least from his rap sheet, drag racing, you know, Drinking and driving. You know, now he likes to shoot guns. He likes, you know, adrenaline. He lifts big weights. Well, that's what I'm saying. He has an addictive personality. Mm -hmm. And so adrenaline is a drug. All I'm saying is John has all the hallmarks of a young man with a lot of money, a lot of time to do nothing, but get yourself in trouble. And that's what happens when you, you know... You haven't been able to go outside in a long time. You're doing a bunch of cocaine at your house. You're like, damn it. I'm going to... Okay, I do want to say that we don't know that he was on cocaine. You, Jeff, you said cocaine about eight times already. Because... We know that he's done cocaine, but there's no evidence that it was involved in the situation. He could have just been drunk, which is not really better driving fucking wasted with a gun. One of the things... You know what? We're not going to get into this. (laughs) Okay. It's a better idea. I think John Jones is just having too much of a good time and probably doesn't realize he might need to dial it back. Well, again. I don't think he has an option. I think that with the, with the adrenaline, well, he picked the perfect fucking career as a cage fighter. Well, cocaine, but I think all of it, is, it's all substance abuse issues. It's whether that's adrenaline, whether that's weed, whether that's booze, whether that's cocaine, mm. whatever it is, he can't simply just have a fun time for a brief time and kick it. 
it's always like gotta do something. It's always like you're doing multiple things and you're pushing the limit. You're pushing the edge. And when in those videos, that was not a sober man. That's not somebody <laughs> who could. He was trying to pretend sober, and it was very, very sad. Um, I've seen Penn State kids shit face trying to get into the trying to get into the bar, arguing with the bartender or the uh, bouncers to let no, them in. I'm not drunk. Yeah. Who sounded more coherent and had a better argument than he did? John Jones. I love John. It's 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 just so funny. But you know what? John just reminds so me of funny. Connor. He reminds me of Connor with their hilariously ridiculous hijinks outside of the ring. Connor is a little more involved with the people, like punching. I guess they both are. I don't know. What's, I guess cra- crashing into pregnant ladies is worse. But <laughs> I don't know because Connor did intentionally punch an old person so i guess yeah but connor's like extrovert turned up to 10 like life of the party type of guy john just strikes me as somebody that has legitimate substance abuse problem maybe connor had a cocaine addiction or something but i i don't know i don't those, those are parallels that you're you're free to draw but to me it seems like anytime john jones has a substance in his system he's going off the rails and it doesn't seem like he has the foresight to remove him from that situation. He thinks that each and every time he's some new man who's learned a new lesson and can do things with these substances. And there's plenty of people out there, plenty of addicts that know that they just have to quit it all. Well, you know what? Hope I... John doesn't seem to learn, but we'll see what happens. It does leave some questions about the light heavyweight division, though. And you mm. posted a poll through this gratitude Twitter mm. with a question, is Dominic Reyes versus Tiago Santos the fight to make for an interim light heavyweight belt? The results, out of 402 voters, that's pretty good for us at Scraptitude. We're a humble brand, expanding, but still humble. Uh, 60% said yes, and 40% said no. Mm. So... <sighs> These guys are this they're fighting for the title of who lost less to John Jones and I mean that's 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 funny to me. I think we're doing my man uh Polish power mm. Jan Blachowicz. Mm. Blachowicz? I think that's how it's pronounced. Blachowicz. Janny B. Yeah, Janny B as we've termed him. Where does he stand in this trifecta, this assortment of contenders? Jan represents New blood contending for the belt. Not necessarily the most difficult or, I guess, most stylistically interesting contender for John Jones. Not for John. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he could definitely give one of those two a fun fight. Do you think he... Uh, well, he already lost to Santos. He's lost to Santos, and he beat... He already beat... The Krylov bull. Well, okay, you keep wanting to throw, uh, in our private conversations, you keep wanting to somehow throw Krylov Whoa, into this stop, upper stop, echelon stop, stop, stop. because he laid on Johnny Walker. Chill out. I'm I'm still talking, I'm just saying he already got that win, so that's probably not the... He's got that he's win, got that, win. that Jacare win, the Corey Anderson win, the uh, Luke Rockhold win. Here's I mean, what... That's, here that's could four be, solid victories. So here's what I say happens. All right, all right, all right, all right. Alright. <laughs> John Jones realistically, considering the combination of coronavirus and whatever his suspension or whatever is gonna end up being, won't be on the ticket for a little while. I say we let Jen fight who's your bull Magomedov Akaramama. Oh yeah, Ankalev. What's I Magomed Ankalev. 
Eon, Ion, Kutabal, Kutabla, Kutalaba. Kutalaba. Santos sits out because his knees are annihilated. Yeah, that that's a that's a point that I feel like not enough people are acknowledging is this man is an explosive athlete who's now what, 37 years old coming off of two knee busted r- knees. Yeah, yeah, coming off of two major reconstructive knee surgeries at the same damn time. And you're looking for him to come back off of this layoff, off of these injuries at this age with this physical deterioration and challenge right away for uh, an interim belt. I get that he had a good fight with John, a fight that a lot of people perceived as being very close. Mm. But there is a lot of logical leaps you have to circumvent in order to put him in this position where you think he's going to be the same man coming back into the octagon. That might, meanwhile, that uh, Blakovich fight against Reyes is really, really interesting. You have two guys with power and hands and timing and athleticism, and you... Lukovich is a guy that right now he's in that he's like 36 years old. He's just at that tail end right now where he's mm. probably not going to be the same guy in a year and a half maybe. Mm. Uh, you need to you need to capitalize on that because he's still fresh. He still has uh, his physical ability in an uncompromised way like we can anticipate from Tiago Santos. I get that Santos beat him before, but that's a different Santos very very likely than we're going mm. to see in his next bout. Um. Yes. Well, time is ticking for both Blahov, Blahov, B, and Tiago Santos. Both of them are on the higher side of the age group in light heavyweight, with being thirty six for Tiago Santos, thirty seven for Blachowicz. So, really, they have to. These next, I guess, two fights are really going to determine how. These guys are going to be going. And at this point, Tiago Santos doesn't seem like the one who's going to be able to recover. So I would say Blachowicz versus Reyes is definitely a good fight to have. Um, Give my man Blahovich a interim title fight against... Uh, no. Against Reyes? No. Contender I mean, fight. No belt. The number one contender fight, I don't, I don't really care. No belt. The, the interim belt just really solidifies them no. as like, you're not going to get left. No, not trying to hear that all over the internet at all. Uh, see, Dominic okay, Reyes. Okay, that's what the people want. Or, 60% of the people want it. And this is the Scraptitude Faithful oh my uh, good listeners. God. These are our people. Jesus These are the most intelligent Christ. fans in all of mixed martial yeah, arts. They're intelligent, but sometimes the smart people can make the bad decision. No <laughs> belt. No belt. Okay, Jeff, we hear you. We hear you. So Jeff votes no. Jeff wants to see... If well, the fight can least, happen, let it play no out. belt. Let it play out. We can say that. If John is going to face some prison time or something like that, you'd have to He's do it. He's going to get probation. He might get 30 days. but I guess we'll see. We'll see. They're in Albuquerque, which might be fortunate in this whole situation in terms of being gun-toting. Mm. Uh, but we'll, there's a lot of information yet to come out. And we don't have our phones on us, so if anything's dropping during this podcast at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Sunday evening, uh, we don't know about it. Yeah, March 29th. Okay, so Tony Ferguson. Ah, yes. This is the man that we have come here to talk about today. The man himself. Clearly there's a hiatus with fights, but Dana White continues to insist that UFC 249 is going to happen at a to-be-determined location. Well, it has a shadow determination. None of us know about it, but Dana does. Uh, 
this, uh, but he's insisting that this is going to happen and he, that he's even beefing up the card with some of the other events that have been canceled. The headliner, of course, is Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Tony Ferguson. Now we're going to do a isolation of Tony Ferguson and break down exactly who he is and how he merits his title shot and perhaps mm. gain some insight into why or why not he may be the man to dethrone Khabib Nurmagomedov from his perch atop the lightweight division. Damn, can he do it? Tim well, doesn't think so. Um, I mean, I've got, I've got a lot of things to say, but Tony Ferguson is somebody who is... He's ma- his eccentrism is second only to Joe Exotic. <laughs> he is a unique character, and he's a unique fighter. When I say Tony Ferguson's name to you, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Blood, flips, rolls... Cardio, Darce chokes. For me, the first thing that I co- that comes to mind is risk taker. Mm. He is risk prone. He has a high risk profile in the way mm. that he fights. Truth. To give a little uh, breakdown of who Tony Ferguson is, he has 16 fights in the UFC now. He's got significant mileage, significant experience. Mm. This Tony Ferguson is what Tony Ferguson is. Yes. He lands nearly 30 significant strikes per round. High-volume guy, and if you've seen Tony Ferguson fight, you know that's the case. He's got a 76-inch reach, the longest reach in the division, and his wingspan score, uh, rest, uh, in comparison to the rest of the division, is uh, matched only by Conor McGregor, who is 5'9", with a 74-inch reach. So his uh, reach, in, uh, in contrast to his physical dimensions, is on par or better than everybody else in the division. Mm. Uh, he's also 36 years old. Mm. And that's one of the variables that I've heard uh, some chirping about lately because the average age in the lightweight division is just 31 and a half years old. Yes. So he's far past that apex among top 15 contenders. He is tied with Don Cerrone as the oldest member of the top 15. However, one final detail is that he's only fought once per year mm. since 2016. Mm. Well, there's no doubt that him not having to fight, him not fighting as frequently is going to extend his ability, you know, how long he's going to be able to stay in the octagon and compete at any type of you know, legitimate level. Mileage. Mileage, yeah. Compared to, I mean, especially when you look at his contemporary, Donald Cerrone, and watching them fight head-to-head, you can really start to see what... Tony is and where he stands. I don't think that his age is really going to be a factor here. No, not too much. Um, Only if he loses. No, then I, everybody will talk about it. I think that. But why? Why don't you think his age matters coming into this fight? Because he's competing at the same level, and I really haven't seen the deterioration. And when compared to his contemporaries, who who are still within the top ten, he he easily outperformed them. I mean, conventional wisdom, and I don't always like to rely on conventional wisdom, but would say that there is some something to be said about mileage. And uh, that's why, for example, running backs in the NFL, you'll see mm-hmm. them falling off a cliff by the time they're 27 years old because of the mileage. They're just entering their physical prime, but they, but because of the mileage they put on their body, the they've kind of plateaued and they're never going to be as good as they were before that point. Uh, but if they don't get any playing time for the first several years of their career, and then mm-hmm. they hit the field when they're 27, it's like they're in the prime of their career and they've got all the juice. So there is something to be said about an intersection between mileage and age, and they don't like they yeah. can offset well, one another. If you look at 
Tony Ferguson's last five fights, he's taken around 300 significant strikes over the last, and that's since 2016. So over the last four years, he's taken less than a punch a day in terms of his fights. He also exploded his knee. Yes, but that's not necessarily what we're really talking about here when it comes to his chin. I don't know, man. Dude tripped over a cord and his leg exploded. That's not your chin. Yeah, but it is durability. Yeah, that's true. Maybe thirty-year-old Tony Ferguson doesn't shred his knee when he's uh, when when he's tripping in a basic way. I trip. I've tripped over cables like four times since I've been here, just trying to reconfigure the studio. I don't know, dude. Speaking of the reconfiguration of the studio, if you are taking in any of the visual aspects of our podcast, we move the monitor to right here. We actually had a 65-inch TV that we were going to set up. It was going to be beautiful. You were going to have the premier visual advantage consuming this podcast compared to any other in the industry, but alas. It was not meant to be. The screen is broken. I contacted somebody to see if it can get fixed, but we're in the coronavirus era, no. and nothing can happen. Yep. So we're, going, we're still moving forward, plugging along, mm. and uh, the improvements mm. are to be seen regardless. Mm. All right. So, when you look at Tony Ferguson, an important aspect of my main man is the diversity in which he strikes. It is a big part of Tony Ferguson's game. He has strategy with how he attempts to attack. He attacks the body. When he, goes, when he fights any type of wrestler with any dominant sense, the body, his body strikes go up through the roof. Most obvious example, the Kevin Lee fight. First, you have your heavy head target, obviously, just because they're standing out. But the diversity between body and leg attacks giving you almost one for, for every four hits, for every four strikes he throws, one of them is going to the body. This fight against Kevin Lee was only one of two fights dating back to his last loss against Michael Johnson where mm. the opponent outthrew him in the fight. Mm. And... That's it. That's significant to me. Those two fights where he was outthrown were by Abel Trujillo, Trujillo and Kevin Lee. Mm. He finished both those fights by submission, so there there was a ground element to how those fights were taking place, and those were two uh, two tougher fights for him. Uh, Tony Ferguson's calling card has been outthrowing his opponent over and over and over and over again. Uh, we recognize him as somebody that does a lot of damage, but statistically, he's not. A overwhelmingly powerful striker. No. Actually, he has a knockdown rate of 0.3. That means he only knocks opponents down once for every 333 significant strikes he lands. Mm. This is a cumulative finisher. This is not a bludgeoning puncher. A uh, he submits. Yes, this is not a guy who breaks you with the power of his strikes. It's more of a death by a thousand cuts and overwhelming uh, assault that that strikes down his opponents. And that has been something that has been emphasized ever since that Michael Johnson fight. Uh, and that fight right there was the incentivization Tony Ferguson needed to increase the risk profile as to how he fights. He began utilizing more stance switching, throwing with more volume, more pressure, mm-hmm. uh, more uh, it's, it's diverse more offensively too. oriented. And yes, that is true. You see in his fights following that Michael Johnson fight, he started mixing up his strikes more, targeting the head less and going to the legs and the body yeah, if more. If you look at his uh, fight with RDA, um, this is right at, com- RDA coming right after his uh, loss for the belt to Eddie Alvarez. And you look at Tony Ferguson, he is landing you know, 60% to the head, 14% to the body, 22% to the legs. 
that's almost a straight half, you know, straight even split. You just know, touching him, touching him, so touching him, touching him in every way. And he, he busted up RDA's legs in yeah, that fight. And RDA put up a good fight because RDA was throwing a lot of diverse strikes too. But you can just see it just not stopping. Tony's pressure and range were dictating the fight, though. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like RDA, while he landed some decent shots, he was always a step behind. And that's probably the best performance of Tony Ferguson's career to date. Well, you can also um, look to his fight with Anthony Pettis, where it's even more and move more diverse with 57% to the head, 18% to the body, 23% of his strikes going to the legs. At that point, he is right there. Just, again... All diversity, attacking at every every spot he can, every angle, kicks, punches, body, leg kicks, throwing him in. Same thing against uh, Donald Cerrone. It's all and, you know. That's kind of that's Tony Ferguson's calling card is the ability to attack you from everywhere. And in his best performances, he's mixing it up. Exactly. Uh, he he's mixing it up, but he's also almost entirely offensively oriented. I mean, he does some uh, some slips and some movements, some stance switching. But it's generally that reach advantage, that 76-inch reach, that makes it hard for Tony Ferguson to get hit. And uh, that might be a newsflash to a lot of you Scrapitude uh, listeners and MMA fans uh, all over the place, is that Tony Ferguson is actually a very good defensive fighter. Uh, The the proof is is very simply in the numbers. Uh, Let's go to his stat page real quick. He defends 63% of strikes that come his way, and that's pretty remarkable when you consider the fact that leg defense rate. So he only defends 24% of leg strikes, Mm. and he only defends 43% of body strikes. So when you think about the fact that his overall strike defense is 63%, well, that is because uh, opponents are only landing, he's defending 70% of head strikes. 70%. Opponents are only landing 3 out of 10 head strikes they throw at Tony Ferguson. So while we see him getting clipped, while we think of him as a hittable fighter... That's not exactly the truth. It really has to do with his disregard for his own body, his willingness to exchange, because he's outlanding his opponents significantly. And when I say yeah. significantly, I mean by 10 strikes around. Yeah. It's it's not just his ability to um, defend the strikes and make his opponents miss. It's also his takedown defense. Tony has fought... I mean, he's made a lot of people that have, util, have spent a lot of time utilizing... Who are the best pressure. wrestlers he's fought, though? Okay, I'm about, um, to, I'm about to hop into iconoclast Tom, hater Thompson, mode. Thompson, uh, Josh Thompson, RDA, and Kevin Lee. So, RDA is somebody that uh, uses his wrestling. He's a solid wrestler. He's not some lifelong accredited wrestler. No. He's somebody that's learned to implement he, wrestling into their game. Lots of pressure, and this was right off his title fight. This is RDA in his prime. RDA went 0 for 5. He went 0 for, okay. Uh, Kevin Lee went 3 for 6. Josh Thompson won 1, one out of 6. So he's not... Tony Ferguson, while when he does get taken down, he seems to be comfortable there, so he doesn't tend to get up. So that's why it may seem like he hangs out there or gets taken down easily. He defends takedowns pretty well. Yeah, I think that it's worth noting that how the only two fights that he lo- uh, that he was outthrown by his opponents, where his opponents threw more strikes than him, that Trujillo fight and that Lee fight were also fights where he was taken down mm-hmm. multiple times. Uh, that seems to be an issue for him, and I don't believe that Tony Ferguson's defense is takedown defense is necessarily as good as that seventy five percent takedown defense rate suggests. Kevin Lee with a staff infection. As young as he was, 
Um, and as good as Tony Ferguson was, still managed a 50% takedown rate, which is better than his career average. But he was not able to really capitalize on them in any way. He mounted Tony Ferguson and he dropped got, elbows got, on his face. So, landed less significant strike. Uh, one, I'm sorry, landed one more significant strike and was submitted. Oh, yeah, no, he got finished. So, he gassed. But, bad. But it gives you an idea that even if you're able to be in it and, and look like you're being dominant against Tony Ferguson... The fact that he can be in a fight like that and still have any type of comparative significant strike differential speaks to his busyness on the ground and that if you aren't able to really keep on him and posture him down and really continuously stay on top of him like that. Well, I think it speaks to the fact that he throws 30 or lands 30 significant strikes per round. That's what I, why I think he, and he gets to that point. He throws 1.4 uh, submissions per uh, 15 minutes yeah. So, which is another... Yeah, no, he's, he's very active. He's always attacking, but that always attacking is part of what got him in trouble, and I guess we're going to spend more time talking about this Kevin Lee fight. Because Kevin Lee, when he first took him down in that first round, when he was fresh, mm. uh, he took him down, and Tony Ferguson went for an arm bar, which he was never close to getting in. At first, he had him in some 10th planet jujitsu pretzel hold. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry that I don't have all, all the terminology... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of the Harry Potter creatures or something. The they Harry, named it after that. Eddie Bravo is it. It was like it was the Hagrid lock. The Hagrid lock. Yeah. Um, no, he hit him with the the Dumbledore twist into the Hagrid lock. Okay. And so, uh, Tony. But when Kevin Lee was able to posture up and get out of that position, uh, Tony Ferguson threw up an armbar. Had was nowhere close to getting that armbar. This is in the mm-hmm. first round when Kevin Lee's fresh. Kevin Lee pivots to side control, north south. And all of a sudden, Tony Ferguson finds these long limbs of his as something of a liability. His hips are flat on the ground, and he's try, trying to create a scramble. He doesn't have the explosion necessary. Mm. And he, he's just constantly looking for an angle to attack, which allows Lee to slide over into the mount and mm. start raining elbows down upon him. This is the... He was not that successful at the end of that round with the elbows. He landed maybe one or two. He landed two. several significant strikes from a mounted position. They ended up and he was clearly throwing. That. He, he was clearly throwing, knowing that the round was in the last 20 seconds. He was clearly mm-hmm. throwing with reckless abandon because he knew that sacrifice of the position was not going to be you know, a tactical disadvantage. Yes. So he was going ham. And then Tony threw up the Anderson Silva, uh, Travis uh, Luter, legs, uh, legs over the body from when he mm-hmm. was mounted and managed to pull him and create a little bit of a scramble there. But it was a perfect uh, peephole into Tony Ferguson's nonstop offensive assault and how his lack of risk aversion leads him into these negative positions, specifically against powerful, strong, capable grapplers mm-hmm. like a Kevin Lee. Yes, but it also illustrates his ability to consistently force him to scramble. And even when I mean, getting into the dominant position... Kevin Lee was not able to really posture in a sense that he landed a few elbows, but he, the, even the Anderson Silva throw your legs up and stuff, it still creates a scramble. It doesn't matter if Kevin Lee's throwing a reckless abandon. It depends it's, on who you're going against, too, though. You might be able to land that on hyper-excited, end-of-round Kevin Lee, who is yeah. usually blowing his, his load in that first round there. <laughs> but can you imagine, say, a uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov in that situation? You think that you're going to loopy leg him from 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 mount and then maybe after four rounds four rounds of you being a fucking psycho in the ring maybe four rounds of being mounted by Khabib Nurmagomedov we'll see I don't know thing is okay this plays into this question that I wanted to ask you 
Who is the best opponent that Tony Ferguson has beaten? RDA. You'd say RDA? Yes. And I, that, that's what I would say as well. Uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, he was coming off the loss to Eddie Alvarez, which was yeah. something of an embarrassment. He's a better fighter than Eddie Alvarez. Damn! And then he came in, but he was having trouble with that weight cut, and that was one of the things that played into that weight cut, or, or into that fight, you remember, him getting mm-hmm. taken out by Eddie Alvarez, was the fact that his chin wasn't holding up because he was cutting too much weight. Damn. And then he goes and he fights Tony Ferguson. Yes. And Tony Fer- he, he wins the first round, then loses the next four to Tony. Mm. But RDA is four and four since. That, that's where he, that that's what he is, and mm-hmm. he's thirty six years old as well. Yes. and he has tons and tons of fight mileage. Unlike Tony Ferguson, RDA is fighting all the time. It's like yeah. you flip the channel, and there's a there's, there's RDA. A, yep, yep, and it's a new fight because yeah. he took another one already. <laughs> that's how RDA is. Quick turnaround time. I wonder what does that. So while Tony has like what three fights since RDA? Yes, RDA has eight. Jesus Christ. So and he's he's been four and four in those fights. So that's Tony Ferguson's best win, and I would mm. say that that's a very good win. Yes. But we, when we look at something like his fighter dominance rating, a metric we've created uh, in order to understand the broad scope of somebody's fighting career mm. and the level of average dominance they've had throughout their fights. Yes. Tony Ferguson ranks up highly. He ranks just below Khabib Nurmagomedov and uh, for second-highest fighter dominance rating in the division. Mm-hmm. But Khabib has already beaten two out of the top five fighters uh, yes. in the division right now in Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. Yes. Uh, Tony hasn't beaten Khabib. Mm-hmm. Tony hasn't beaten Gaethje. Mm-hmm. Tony hasn't beaten Dustin. Yes. Tony hasn't beaten Conor. Okay. So we're looking at the, all the top names in this division. Tony's best win is RDA, a guy who's moved up to welterweight because the weight cut was giving him problems. And that fight was when Tony was 32 years old. Okay. So... Tony Ferguson is in an odd place because of the timeline that exists between him and Khabib and how many times this fight has been scheduled and fallen through. So if you look back to the original the original date that Khabib and Tony Ferguson were supposed to fight was back in 2015. It was an Ultimate Fighter 22 finale. Khabib got injured a bunch that during that year. That's not neither here nor there. What I really want to talk about here is the time between the end of the second half of 2016 to the first half of 2017. This is the time where Khabib and Tony have solidified, have both solidified their streaks and are both gunning for the championship. The rankings at the end of 2016 go as Conor McGregor at this point is light heavyweight, lightweight champ. Excuse me. It goes Khabib, Tony, Eddie, RDA, Edson Barboza. At this point in time, Tony has wins over two of them, two of the top five. So does Khabib. Now we go to the midway through 2017. Connor's still our champ. Khabib, Tony, Eddie, Barboza, and now Gaethje has just entered the top five. But he had only beaten Michael Johnson and had just lost to Eddie Alvarez. So you look here. Tony gets scheduled again to fight Khabib in 20 <clears throat> in 2017. Khabib is injured or sick or whatever. Tiramisu'd. Tiramisu'd. Tony gets the interim belt, beats Kevin Lee. 2018 comes, flip the switch. Tony gets injured, right? Tony's out. Ally Quint is in. Khabib gets the belt. Khabib, the interim belt. The interim belt. Khabib Connor happens. Connor's out of this picture the entire time because the Floyd Mayweather fight combined with him getting in all the legal trouble and all that junk. Okay. Dustin Poirier is literally still irrelevant at this point in time. So now. You go, you f- you push forward, 
He was irrelevant. What, what year are we talking about right here? Uh, this is mid-2017. The oh. top 10 lightweights in the UFC are Khabib, Tony, Eddie Alvarez, Edson Barboza, Justin Gaethje, Nate Diaz, Kevin Lee, and then Dustin right over Michael Johnson. So Dustin isn't really a top. He's he's a top ten, but he's I mean, not. Because Dustin had the Michael Johnson loss in twenty sixteen. Yeah. So, the, but this is the reason why Tony doesn't have these wins. And then so coincidentally, now, that Michael Johnson loss is just as long ago as that Tony as the Tony, RDA win. Right. And then you look at Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje became relevant in twenty nineteen. That's when he picked up his two relevant wins. He read he ran two losses before that to Dustin Poirier. And to Eddie Alvarez. And then 2019 gets two wins. Now he's relevant. And now he's into the title picture. I get you. But what all this sounds like to me is trying to argue how good Tony Ferguson's wins are based off of what guys were ranked at the time. And we have more sophisticated measures to determining how good fighters are. But and you, we know you, that... I mean, right now we're talking about it all retroactively. So yes, at the time, making that argument for him getting the title shot and him and Khabib respectively... Uh, where they were and what kind of how good their wins were. Yeah, that that, that was a better case not, then because everyone was chasing Connor. No one was but, trying to fight Tony Ferguson. But everyone now we have more Connor McGregor. But now we have more comprehensive data, and we know that uh, Justin Gaethje put Edson Barbosa to bed. We mm-hmm. know that uh, Dustin Poirier has taken out Eddie Alvarez and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Justin Gaethje and solidified himself among the top of the division with some impressive uh, statistics such as significant strike differential mm-hmm. uh, uh, to, to verify his legitimacy, uh, as well as a win over Max Holloway. Yes. Uh, we have now a stronger collection of guys at the top of the division, and the truth is is that Tony Ferguson, with his 75% takedown defense and his fighter dominance rating of 8.57, without mm-hmm. beating any of those guys... He beat the yesteryear collection of top talent in this division that we can retroactively look at and decipher as not being that elite. Yeah, but at the same time, we have to recognize the climate. Because of the fact that merit isn't what gets you title shots and isn't what determines where you are, we have to recognize the climate that existed around the lightweight title. But we're talking about the current climate. The current climate is still the same. Justin Gaethje has been chasing Conor McGregor for the last year and a half. He's not taking any other fight. We have who else do we have here? Dustin Poirier just took his just took his L to Khabib, and now he's trying to get his turnaround and fight Dan, Dan Hooker. Hooker. Yep, that's scheduled for the summer, July, I think. Conor McGregor's probably going to fight Justin Gaethje, and Tony's fighting Khabib. At this point, what it used to be was light heavyweight was a was a muddled picture with no clear contenders outside of Khabib and Tony Ferguson, and now a few other contenders have emerged, and they are going to. Def- Decide between themselves who's going to be the ones that are really going to be not. Not only have they emerged, they have their accomplishments, their weighted mm-hmm. accomplishments, depending on the rank and ability levels of their opponents, uh, are more relevant now than Tony Ferguson's are. Debatable. I mean, that, no. the only one is really Khabib. Khabib's Khabib is probably the only person who's actual. Because I mean, there's Connor, Justin Gaethje is not. Uh, he beat Cowboy. He beat Shell Cowboy. Who. Since he achieved his biggest win, Tony beating RDA, Dustin Poirier has beaten uh, Jim Miller, Anthony Pettis, Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, and Max Holloway. Uh huh. I mean, that collection of wins is better than any collection of wins that Tony Ferguson has had in his entire career. It's 
It's RDA, Kevin Lee, Pettis, Don Cerrone are his last four. Yes, so, so washed yeah. Donald Cerrone, washed Anthony Pettis, uh, staff infection, yes. Kevin Lee, and weight cut problem, RDA. It seems like you just, it's easy to cut down these fighters at that point, yeah. though. So it's, Well, I mean, because we, we're, we're coming from the perch of the knowledge we have now, not from the perch that we had at the time. Hmm. So what I'm saying, Jeff, is that the statistics that represent the greatness of Tony Ferguson, the significant strike differential, hmm. the, uh, uh, the fighter dominance rating, the finish rate, uh, these different metrics are inflated. They're inflated by a lackluster resume. And phew, mm. that is why I know that Khabib Nurmagomedov is going to hurt this man, hurt him badly. And people are going to be referring. People are going to be using the argument I am now, and they're going to have their retroactive perch, and they're going to see all of these things about Tony Ferguson coming out to be true, that he really didn't beat top-tier talent. I don't know. And that RDA win, it's a good, very good win. But that's a small sample size in terms of Khabib, or in terms of Tony Ferguson versus elite talent in this division. I don't know because at the same time, you can look to you. We can always look at Khabib and tell him, "Look, Khabib's what is Khabib's best win? It's the same. It's kind of the same deal. What I guess what is Khabib's best win? Is it Dustin or is Connor? it Connor? Connor, a hundred percent. Okay. Well, I, I mean, mean, Connor was like what top five pound for pound win. I guess yeah. So I mean, well. And Connor, because, whatever you want to rank him, pound for pound or whatever. Now, I mean, yeah. we know flat out that dude's one of the best in mixed martial yeah. arts. I don't know. It's just I have a hard time writing off Tony in any sense because of the type of pressure that he's going to bring to this to the table. I'm I just I don't see him getting finished, and I'm I don't I haven't seen anyone that's going to really push the pace like he's going to try to, and. I don't think he's going to fall into that defensive shell that a lot of the guys fall into when trying to fight Khabib, where you see him like Dustin, like Dustin Poirier. I can't keep this guy off me. And oh, drowning. no. I, I know, because Khabib drowns people, and it's very hard to be aggressive and land 30 significant strikes around when you're mounted yeah, by a Dagestani eagle. Once them talons in, I'm interested once to those see talons him. in, you don't go anywhere. I want to see... There's four, round four, round five. Khabib doesn't really have that against top-tier competition. The only round four is the round two round, the round four he seems against Connor, Which he finished the fight in. Finished the fight, but Connor, I guess Connor did technically took a round from him. And I, if there's anything to the sense of being defeated and not trying to attack or not being as offensive as Connor herself has said, we will see if that actually makes a difference. And Ally Quinta, who... Got basically got fucked destroyed. up. Yeah, it just got beat pillar post. Anybody who says that fight was close is fucking Yeah, what could you got like six takedowns and outlanded Khabib, him by like a hundred Yes, could be outlanded him by nearly a hundred significant strikes and took him down six times. Yeah. So if, passed his guard seven times. A clinic. Yeah. A clinic. It was somebody that was three levels ahead of their competition in that so, fight. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just saying that the the numbers for Khabib Nurmagomedov, there's a, a smaller sample size. He hasn't had as many fights, but he's beaten better guys uh, than Tony Ferguson. And he's also beaten the same guys that Tony Ferguson has staked his resume upon, mm. RDA. Uh, he hasn't fought Kevin Lee, but Kevin, like I said, that staph infection Kevin Lee. 25-year-old mm. staph infection Kevin Lee. Mm. Um, and as somebody who is a 
very, very uh, strong supporter of Kevin Lee and his ongoing maturity and promise within this division, you mm. have to recognize that the Kevin Lee that was in that fight was not ready to be no. taking on a veteran, uh, the caliber that we perceive Tony Ferguson to be. Yes, it's a mismatch. Not. Definitely a mismatch. So, okay, you're... Uh, I'm I'm the one here saying that depre- that we should depress the numbers of Tony Ferguson because his resume is suspect. But there's also another way to look at this. What does Tony do better than any other fighter in the lightweight division? What makes him elite? He gets it done. Regardless of how the stats anchor out or whom he fights or what they're supposed to do to him, Tony Ferguson finds the way to get the W. 73% finish rate. You look at he finishes fights and he t- and he no no matter where the fight goes, he has the ability to end it. But Conor McGregor has an 80% finish rate. Conor McGregor is bolstered by the fact that he fought in a smaller weight class where he was starching in his own words midgets and at, it is hard to take that especially what about Donald Cerrone? T- Tony had the uh, beat the shit out of him, but was never able to. Yeah, drop and tell him. me how many fights Donald Cerrone has won in a row, and then we'll see how many fights Tony Ferguson has won in a row. Because I don't care. I get that. What yeah. I'm saying is that he was swiftly handled by both McGregor and Gaethje following that Tony Ferguson fight. No one is, no one cares about Conor McGregor's finish rate because he was fighting. But I'm saying he what he does better than anyone in the division. He, he doesn't pussy. finish people better than anyone in the division. He's a weight cutting pussy, but. Here's what we're going to... I'm serious in the sense of... You look at his fights with Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee was going to take him down, beat him up. You know what? He was doing that for a little bit. Tony still found a way to win. You know, you go... You look at his fights with RDA. RDA was a killer. He was supposed to go in, pressure him. What did Tony do? Put the pressure back on him. Found the way to win. Even in the tough times, that Lando Venado fight where he got tagged crazy and they were scrambling all over the place. Adversity found the way to win. Anthony Pettis, tagged early. Adversity comes, finding the way to win. Regardless of what anyone says... His adaptability his, might be... That's... It's... Tony adapts, and regardless of what happens, he excels and embraces the adversity to come out on top. And that is something that you cannot overlook because, you know, when we talk about Kevin Lee and we talk about the, you know, the breaking point and how you can really push people and they won't get there, Tony Ferguson is someone who, when you push him... He stay, He walks back up to the challenge. He continues on. And he finds ways to win. And you know what? That is when someone isn't going out. You know, when you see someone like Khabib who goes out there and he, he applies what he knows and he dominates these dudes, there's something to that. But there's something to be said for the man who finds the way regardless of what happens and whatever type of hardships occur in the fight. The well, cuts. They're polar opposites. Khabib is yeah. like the most risk-averse fight. I mean, he beats the shit out of people. But talk about somebody that's a risk-averse and prefers grappling versus somebody that embraces risks and prefers standing. And when Khabib is standing, he does not try to get caught in wild exchanges. No. That's exactly what Tony gravitates towards. <laughs> um, they're, they're very, very different. Khabib, 90% of his significant strikes are d- targeted towards to the, the head. opponent's head. Uh, Tony Ferguson has much more strike diversity and kicks far more often. They are staunchly different fighters. And that risk profile, though, is exactly why Khabib did not get rocked by somebody like Ally Aquinta (laughs) and why Tony Ferguson got rocked by Lando Venata, why he got rocked by Anthony Pettis, um, why he got knocked down by Michael Johnson. I think one of the things that Tony does better than any fighter, really, is he embraces the chaos of what the fight actually is 
and when things start going a little haywire, you find him in there still like. Well, he's as know, mentally yeah. tough as anybody in the entire yeah. world, no, not sport world. world. So it's just. I would say that that his mental fortitude and his cardio are mm. the two things that are incomparable to anybody else in the division. The things where he ranks higher than McGregor, Gaethje, Poirier, even Khabib. Mm. I don't think that there's anybody that can run up a hill as long as Tony Ferguson can. Because even when Tony Ferguson's exhausted, he's going to do it until he dies. Yeah, something's broken. Something's broke. He's got the, tax, the toxoplasmosis. Yeah, he's got toxoplasmosis. 100%. Like, he's got the toxoplasmosis. He has to, his cardio and his mental fortitude are second to none. Because, no, you don't... Tony Ferguson's statistical profile just breathes of someone who is just in it. Just the amount of punches he throws, the amount of times he does get hit, the amount of times that he attempts to submit dudes, all just scream busy fighting. Just, the you know, what do we got here? His um significant strikes absorbed per five minutes per five rounds is 18, almost 19. That's a good amount. But he's landing almost 30. Yeah, no, the significant strength uh, yeah. differential is there. But also so this volume attempt, is yeah. paying off. But then he's him. attempting one point four submissions every fifteen minutes, which just means that this dude is somehow punching, throwing an absurd amount of punches, and somehow also attempt, attempting a ridiculous amount of submissions every single fight he's in. As <laughs> they're hilarious. His his uh significant strikes landed per minute is five, almost six. Yeah, like, no, it's a no, light, he, like, the he dude's throws, so busy. It's he throws extreme volume, and he'll try to lock up your neck standing up. <laughs> yeah. He'll try to lock it up on the ground. You shoot for a takedown, he'll go for it. And he take he forces a lot of guys to shoot. And that's one uh, of the things uh, that Conor McGregor did try to do against Khabib. You think he's going to take Khabib to Snap City, as Tony says? Uh, well, the thing about Tony Ferguson and his wrestling is that he doesn't use it offensively that much. He doesn't shoot for takedowns. Uh, if we look at the, the numbers... He shoots for uh, just .19 takedowns per round. He doesn't care where the fight goes. Mm. He's almost like Diaz-esque. If you take me down, I'm a jujitsu you. And mm. if we stand up, I'm going to overwhelm you. Mm-hmm. And honestly, with that .3 knockdown rate, that that's kind of how he has to fight. And you also look at his physical dimensions. The muscle isn't spread throughout his, his <laughs> long body like John Jones, for example. No. He doesn't have crazy leverage to be defending takedowns. And that's another thing. I just believe that that 75% takedown rate is inflated because he hasn't faced a, a list of great offensive grapplers. Mm. He's not in the welterweight division where you got to get through uh, Colby Covington and you got to get through Kamaru Usman and you got to get through... Uh, I don't Tyron Woodley and all these other dudes that are going to put you on your ass at the top end. He yeah. doesn't have to deal with that. Well, yeah, but neither does Khabib, and it creates an interesting dynamic. It does, it. but Khabib can apply that. Yes. Tony can't apply that. Yes. Uh, anyways, I do have an article that's going to be coming out this week as well, c- talking about a lot of what we broke down in this podcast and just laying out my case uh, my bird's eye view for Tony Ferguson's career and just the identifying characteristics. I'll be talking about things like where he excels statistically, uh, his risk profile and how it's propelled him since the Michael Johnson fight. I think it'll be a really interesting article. Uh, anyways, I guess that we're wrapping up this process. What is your final verdict on Tony Ferguson as a fighter over his career and where he is now? Tony Ferguson is a man who has been stunted by continuous injuries that have prevented him from really taking advantage of the latter part of his prime years, but he is now has the chance to really get that icing on the cake and hopefully 
Because I don't know if he if he loses this fight, I don't know if he continues fighting. But damn, bro, I was gonna eat that. You read my take. No, that's just a lot of people kind of are saying that. That's we'll see, but I just don't know what else is he, what else is he gonna want to do at that point. That's kind of you know he's either gonna oh okay he is fucking crazy so he might just try try and get the title shot again. Do you think that? How do you think he's going to be remembered? Uh, he's a, say he wins the fight or loses the fight. Give give us one of... One if of he them. loses, he'll be remembered as one of the better footnotes of Khabib Nurmagomedov's championship reigns. And if he wins, it'll be one of the coolest upsets the UFC has seen. And he will probably... I think he'll become pretty famous with just how crazy he is if yeah. he has a belt. Do you think he ends up going down as one of the greatest ever if he beats Khabib? Yes. There's no way he doesn't. That's really interesting. Because he's going to get, at that point, he's going to get another fight. He's either going to fight Connor or Justin Gaethje, so. Yeah, okay. Well, my final verdict on uh, on Tony Ferguson. Uh, by expanding his risk profile, Tony Ferguson regularly flips the proverbial coin, like MMA's own two-face incarnation. While El Kakui is a wonder at maximizing his advantages, and his mental fortitude is second to none. The haphazard way in which he fights is unsustainable in this latter stretch of his career. Tony strikes that fine balance between genius and insanity, and I will not be surprised if he retires with the loss to Khabib Nurmagomedov. It's just, the if he does lose in that fight, he's probably taking a hellacious beating. Mm. He's already older. He's pretty intelligent. I don't know what all goes on in the external facets of his life, but he's probably a fixture at that 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu gym. He's... Got a wealth of knowledge, and he's the kind of personality where it doesn't seem like he'll ever go away. No. So, I don't know. He's a ninja turtle. He's a ninja turtle. Michelangelo. Uh, I think that's the one he said he is, right? No. This is a rat race. But I'm no rat. I'm a fucking turtle. Ninja turtle. So which one's your favorite? I like Michelangelo. Anyways, we are the Scraptitude Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Me in the blue corner, I am Timothy Lewis. Find me on Twitter at um, Mr. Tealew, that is M-R-T-E-E-L-E-W, and in the red corner. Jeff, find me at O-R-215 on Twitter and on Instagram. Yep, so look out for that article. Uh, look out for this podcast drop early uh, this upcoming mm. week, you know, hopefully Monday. And if you enjoy this podcast, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much, Scraptitude Faithful. Peace.